Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Premier Crew podcast. Today we've got three wines on offer, one from South Africa, two from France. Um, we're keeping keeping it short and sweet, so let's get into it. How you doing, Brooks? Ciao, Ben. Ciao, listeners. Do you know what? I'm really, really well. Uh, I had a really good week. Um, highlight from a sort of wine perspective, uh, we had a fellow sort of wine commentator. He's actually um, a wine YouTuber uh, around for dinner uh, and he brought over a super cool wine. It was a sort of Palomino, uh, which for those of you that don't know is the grape variety that makes sherry. So the Southern Spanish wine. Uh, and yeah, it was so delicious, really unique. I've never really had anything like that. Um, so that was a bit of a highlight and yeah, overall great week. How about you? Yeah, yeah, man. Very, uh, yeah, very similar. Palomino is definitely, uh, definitely a highlight. Um, weird, never had the grape before. Um, and once you know that it's used to make some sherries, that grape variety, you then taste the wine and you're like, I can somehow see some similarities. It's like got this dry character. Um, always had a really cool red actually, Rioja Reserva 2006. Um, one that we should probably get on the podcast. Um, producers called uh, Bina, but we can, we can talk about that another time. But uh, yeah, man, all good. Excited to be here for episode, episode number two. Right, let's get stuck into the wines then. Um, <clears throat> the first one that we've got is, uh, you know, is our sort of fine wine of the day. Um, and it's a white wine. Um, it's uh, from the country, South Africa, and from the wine region, um, Stellenbosch. And it's 100% uh, Chenin Blanc. Um, and it's by a producer called De Morganzon. And I've absolutely butchered that name and I'll probably continue to do throughout uh, the remainder of the podcast. So apologies to the producer. Um, and it, we bought this one from a wine retailer called Honest Grapes. Uh, and I think we bought it for about £35. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Because it's, it's essentially, <clears throat> it's a wine we've both had before and we tried it together at the same time blind because a friend of ours called will shout out to shout yeah, out to big drinking. up will big up will um a friend of ours basically brought it for like a dinner party and hugo and i tried it blind had obviously no idea what it was and both came away thinking that's new world chardonnay and it's really really good and just weird because i, I don't think we've had that much experience with shenin obviously it comes in lots of different guises we'll get into that in a minute but um i haven't had that much experience but it's uh, definitely a richer style they do a lot of oak aging uh, and use of oak on this wine during the fermentation process as well um and it's just yeah it's really really good and i think uh, when we were thinking of wines to have on the pod um it was one that kind of was front of mind yeah absolutely um yeah and i think um especially for this time of year you know it's getting a bit colder we're coming up to Christmas and, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, what sort of wine you want to get in at, at that stage, you know, if you're hosting people um, and you want something that's, you know, pretty giving, uh, it's in a richer style and just, you know, feels sort of like warm and giving, um, you know, this wine is definitely going to sort of hit the bill. Um, and then on top of that, you know, it can really stand up to some of those richer Christmas foods. You know, if you've got your turkey flying around, you know, <laughs> this, this, this is the, this is the wine to go to. I mean, if your turkey's still flying around by the time you eat it, you're, you're in big trouble. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really awesome wine. What, what do you sort of get on the, on the, on the nose and palate? Yeah. The nose is, to, to me, I think if I smelt it, like even if I had this, uh, you know, blind again today, I would just say New World Chardonnay. I wouldn't be able to tell you where from, but it's it's kind of rich and buttery, slight sort of vanilla um, character, but it's not, you know, super fat. Like you do get some of those burgundies that are just really rich. It's actually, it's really good because it's got this sort of linearity that runs through it. Um, you know, sort of like you can tell there's some lift, there's some acidity in there that kind of cuts through the richness um, for, you know, the, the sort of vanilla, buttery, salty mineral tones that you're getting. Um, and I, I just think that kind of 
gives gives that wine a bit of you know a bit of pep and really makes it quite drinkable to be honest. Yeah. If if I was going blind today, I mean I know we said New World Chardonnay before, but even a richer sort of Burgundy um uh, you know, wouldn't 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 be far off my mind to be honest. And there's a couple of things about where this is grown that I think makes that profile uh, very fitting. So, where this is based is in Stellenbosch. So it's just um, outside of Cape Town, and the vines that De Morganzon use for this specific bottling are about three, approximately 300 meters above sea level. Um, but what that means is the altitude gives it a certain freshness. And then on top of that, because Cape Town is sort of a coastal town. Um, you know, you've got these kind of cool ocean breezes that are, are coming through. And, you know, again, they they give that that freshness. Um, so I think there's a bit of geography that plays a part in that. And then in terms of the winemaking, you know, we mentioned um, that they use a bit of oak. Um, you know, they do, it's uh, fermented in oak and then aged afterwards in oak. I think when they're fermenting it, about 20% of it is new barrel. And that new barrel... Um, just adds or imparts a bit more uh, flavor than, than an old barrel. Um, so I think that's why you get this combination of the richness, but then also this like freshness and acidity and, and the sort of saline notes. Um, so yeah, super cool wine. Yeah, yeah, com- completely agree. Completely agree. Um, what about what about in terms of in terms of South Africa? Well, yeah. South Africa. I mean, we've both had the fortune of going there, and do you know what? It's such a cool country. Um, and the wine region is absolutely stunning. I mean, think of like panoramic views of Cape Town, Tabletop Mountain, and then you overlook this just amazing, stunning blue coastline. Um, Benny, when you were there, what, what, what wineries did you visit? Yeah, so I was there. I was there in December uh, of last year. We were slightly, um, slightly under the cosh for for time. We had quite a busy schedule. We were only there for a few days, um, but we went to Klein Constantia, um, which is like yeah properly properly amazing um i think <clears throat> in terms of like the 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 impressiveness for want of a better word of yeah. scenery south africa um is is really up there when it comes to wine country you know tuscany is very romantic with the rolling hills but just the sheer magnitude of the countryside out there in south africa is pretty amazing so yeah klein constantia was super cool we were driven around an open top land rover um and what that kind of really showed is that the the variety uh, of land that they're working with there and the, some of the steepness of some of the, the slopes that they've got is quite significant. Um, and, you know, talk about altitude. Um, they had one vineyard way at the back up on the side of this mountain that they said was newer, but one of their one of their best sites. Um, and it really makes you realise how, you know, altitude going to, you know, affect the one, how significant it is when you're suddenly talking about, you know, the difference in 100 metres up. It doesn't sound that much when you kind of see it on the side of a mountain. You're like, yeah, that's... Yeah, serious yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, serious stuff. But yeah, amazing, like really, really beautiful. Yeah, and the de Morganzon uh, vineyard is, um, you know, representative of that South African beauty. I mean, I think they've got about ninety hectares of land that they plant around, and only fifty-five uh, hectares of that is devoted to to vines, uh, and the rest of it is sort of beautiful natural flowers. And they're really, really committed um, to creating biodiversity, and that like comes through so strongly whenever you research the wine. Um, and the other wacky thing about them is that they also play music to the vines. Um, which is you know, completely insane uh, to the layman, and to be honest, probably completely insane to most people in wine. Um, but yeah, they play this like classical music throughout the day. Uh, good choice on classical music. You know, they, they play Bach predominantly, um, and the idea is that the waves are meant to be good for the vine. So it's not actually like the sound of the music; it's the sort of sound waves, the reverberation of that is good for it. I'll be completely honest. I mean, I have absolutely no idea how that works. I don't really know if I buy into it or know what it means. But what I will say is, you know, 
the wine world is full of eccentricities and oddities. Uh, and uh, we can definitely, definitely embrace that. Mm, yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, <clears throat> we, we've heard of this before. Um, there's a producer in Italy in Chianti who also uses this method. And actually, we've got a guest who uh, is going to come on the podcast and talk about it in, in more detail. So stay tuned for that one. But it's not, I guess it's, it's I mean, it's pretty wacky. I don't know if it's revolutionary. Like, has this been going on for a while? Do we know? To, to, to be honest, it's, it's not something I'm familiar with. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure someone's been doing it for a while. Uh, but yeah, it's not. It's not something I'm. I'm, I'm hugely uh, used to, uh, or, or, or really understand at all. Um, but yeah, I think that sort of like brings us to the end of this wine. Great Christmas wine. Uh, get it in. It's great for giving to people. Uh, it will stand up to food really, really well. And just a little last note on the retailer that that, that sells this wine, Honest Grapes. I mean, they're a really cool uh, retailer. And what's unique about them is that they purely play online. Um, so they don't actually have um, a shop that, that you can go into. And whilst that doesn't probably sound very unique in the 21st century, I think what is really good about it is that it's forced them to have, um, you know, an awesome website, all their digital comms are always on point and the customer service is just really, really good. And to be quite honest, as someone who's shopped from a load of different wine merchants, I'm quite sick of wine merchants having sort of dismal websites and dismal email marketing. Um, yeah, so yeah. I want to name a few names there. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I know, if, uh, yeah, we won't publicly name and shame. Otherwise my head will be on the, the chopping block straight afterwards. But I think, it, I think you know, they're, yeah, they, they do that really well. And then I think it's also encouraged them to sort of create really cool experiences. Um, so they've got this great seller club, um, which, you know, means that they do these online tastings, physical tastings, and really like they've worked hard to create a community. And I think almost being online has sort of pushed them, pushed them towards doing that. So yeah, definitely check them out. Um, and obviously we'll be posting the link in the description for each of the wines and on our socials. So it'll give you an, a, a way to find Honest Grapes. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely uh, a retailer worth worth looking up uh let's move on to the next wine yeah yeah for sure so the next wine falls into our good value category um it retails for 19 pounds and sold by leon sanderman so it's a red wine from france from the loire valley um and the grape is cabernet franc and actually we chose this wine uh for today's episode because hugo you had it two weeks ago or was it a bit longer yeah uh Probably a few weeks back a or something like that. Ago, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you thought it was really, really good. Yeah, I, I really, really like... feature on the podcast, basically. Yeah, I really like this wine. I think the sort of Loire Cabernet Francs represent really, really good value. They've always got these sort of like quite complex... They're quite complex, but always good value for money. Um, I think this one's coming in at what, sort of 19 to 20 pounds. Um, so, you know, it's just a really, really good price point. Um, and yeah, they've always got these like quite complex aromas. They're quite like vegetal, soily bit of green pepper and things like that which um, probably sounds really weird to yeah it probably sounds listening. utterly vile <laughs> but i can just confirm like it's actually really really nice and um yeah they can also but because you know they're quite north and we'll situate uh, the loire in a second um but you know because it's quite far north from france they've also got this nice acidity and freshness with a bit of backbone and tannin uh that i think just makes them just a, a real crowd pleaser and something you can take to any event yeah definitely i think um i haven't had that much uh Cabernet franc but it kind of somehow falls between I could, you know, having this lunch, having this wine on like a, you know, a lunch outside, that kind of vibe. But also if you're like, you know, cold winter's evening in front of the fire, wanted something with enough backbone to like get stuck into, it would kind of fit the bill. I know it sounds quite contradictory from like a style, sort of style perspective, but I think it falls into both camps somehow. It's got this freshness, but with enough depth 
Um, so yeah, keep it complex and interesting, really. Yeah. So for the for the, anyone listening who's just thinking like, where the hell in France are we with the Loire? Um, it runs. Uh, it starts south of Paris and runs from the center of Paris all the way through to the west coast. And the wine region follows the river. So on the sort of east part, east part uh, below Paris, you've kind of got. Uh, Sancerre Puy Fumé that produce, you know, cracking Sauvignon Blanc. And then you've got these two blocks in the middle uh, where you've got Touraine and Anjou Samur, and they produce sweet and dry Chenin Blanc that's just really, really uh, high quality and probably where Chenin Blanc's, uh, you know, most reputable in the world, other than actually South Africa, where the, where the De Montgonzon is from. But they also produce some Cabernet Franc there. Um, which is what we're discussing today. And then furthest east, there's then uh, a small region called Muscadet uh, within the Loire, where they produce this funky grape variety or lesser drunk grape variety called Melon de Bourgogne. Uh, <laughs> and it produces a really sort of like crisp, dry white wine, um, which is pairs so well with seafood. Uh, and you see it all sort of, all over sort of um, wine bars and restaurants uh, in Paris and, you know, having them with some oysters. Um, and then Chinon, which is where this wine is from, is within Touraine. Uh, and yeah, it's just probably where some of the best Cabernet Franc in the Loire is grown. And it's pretty dumb normally to make generalizations about wine regions because what you end up finding is that at least something breaks the rule or a producer's doing something different but there's this little river that meets the loire um and that goes through chinon and near the river there's sort of sandy soil which produces a slightly lighter uh, style of wine whereas further up the hill it's a bit more uh, gravelly uh, and produces a f- sort of fuller bodied style and what's quite cool about this one uh, is that it's from the sort of sandy soils because it's Bernard Baudry, who's the producer's entry-level wine. And I think you can sort of taste the fact that it's that lighter style um, because it does have a freshness and it doesn't have like excessive tannin. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I completely agree. I completely agree. I think also I've drunk this wine, but not for um, not for a few years. So it's good to just, good to just revisit it. Uh, but I think <clears throat> in terms of just like contextualizing Loire as a whole, it's worth saying that it's a massive wine region. It's like, I'm probably slightly wrong here, but it's like 400 kilometers long running essentially sort of center of France way out to the, way out to the West. It's absolutely massive. And I don't know it that well, but is, is the fact that it produces so many different types of wine, there's different grape varieties there, part of the reason to do with why it's probably less well known than others, but offering really, really good wines that are still really good value. Yeah. Because some of the sweet wines there, especially from uh, the centre made from Chenin, um, are really less well-known, but they honestly are just ridiculous value for money uh, if if you can get your hands on them because some of it's quite small-scale production. Yeah, because I'd say parts of the Loire, like Sancerre, Puy, um, Fumé, are much better known than other parts. They're, they're certainly better, yeah, a couple um, of producers. And yeah, you could say that like some of it's a bit under the radar, but that's good news for sort of like wine lovers like us where, you know, you can actually get great value buys still. And, you know, producer like Bernard Baudry, who we should touch upon, yeah. you know, really is top, top notch. Uh, you know, his vineyards are organic. Uh, his winemaking, you know, he's he's very careful uh, in terms of like, for example, the amount of oak he puts on different wines. So for example, this cuvee, because it's an entry level one, he's put almost no oak on it and or no oak. And it's uh, aged in cement tanks, which I think, again, it's not just the, where the uh, vines are planted, but it's also the winemaking techniques that are bringing this sort of freshness to this one. Um, but then, you know, on some of them, he puts a bit more oak where the wines have the structure to sort of handle it. So you're in the hands of a sort of uh, Loire Cabernet Franc legend. Mm. Uh, and yeah, 
just a seriously awesome wine. Highly, highly recommended. Uh, and yeah, you can purchase it from Lynn Sandman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're getting, you know, a top producer from top region for £19. Like if you're doing a dinner party or you're wanting to try something, you know, that's maybe slightly different before Christmas, give it a go. Yeah, hi- highly recommended from us. Um, and yeah, I think we should take it away then with the final wine of the episode. Um, yeah, so- yeah, do. This is, this is an interesting one. This is really interesting. I know nothing about it really. So I'm all, I'm all ears for me, man. Okay, okay. I'll try, I'll try and do this <laughs> succinctly. Um, but okay, we're, we're still in France. Uh, and this time we're actually in the wine region of Bordeaux. Uh, and what we've got is a wine, a red wine, um, but it actually contains white grape varieties. And we'll come on to that in a second. So it's a blend of all the permissible uh, grape varieties, white and red, uh, that are allowed in the Bordeaux wine region. And it's produced by a producer called Domaine Galushi. Uh, and we, this is a 2019, and we purchased this one uh, from a wine shop called Shrine to the Vine, which is the wine shop uh, run by the people who own Noble Rock, which is a cool uh, wine magazine. And then they also have got a free restaurants dotted around London that uh, hi, hi, we'd highly advise sort of checking out. Um, so yeah, that that's basically the wine. I mean, Ben, we, we Bordeaux was sort of our entry into the fine wine world and, and sort of getting to know. And we actually did uh, the Vendange, which what people don't know is sort of grape picking, We're not sort of grape picking. It is the sort yeah, of wine yeah. grape harvest. Um, yeah. Do you want to just explain to people just a little bit about what that was like? Yeah. Um, it, interesting, like really interesting couple of weeks. Um, yeah. So the Vendange is the grape harvest um, in Bordeaux typically happens sort of September, October time, depending on the weather that year uh, and would run for what, about a week or so at an estate. So Hugo and I went out there for two weeks in, this is back in 2017. <clears throat> I think we'd finished uni at the time and um, we thought it'd be a good experience to do, you know, something different, an extenuation of our passion for wine in, in some some weird way. Um so we we booked an Airbnb and with about 48 hours notice, we we went out to Bordeaux. Um, we we rocked up and then when we got there, they told us that, the, that they weren't ready to harvest yet. And then we had to wait for like another week or something. So in the meantime, we kind of filled up, filled up sort of a schedule with wine tastings and trips. And, uh, you know, it's, it, we certainly weren't sort of short of things to do. We're just we, we definitely bomb, bombing around chatters, trying, trying different wines. It was really, really cool. But when we finally were called up to do the do the harvest, um, yeah, really interesting experience. Uh, tough, tough. I mean, you, you want to kick? Well, yeah, it was it was tough work. I have to say this this vision of you know being sort of going to a sort of sweet family run property uh, with you know sort of getting served sort of beef bourguignon for dinner with a glass of the family wine and sort of relaxing with the locals wasn't wasn't exactly what it was like. I mean, it's hard work. It's hard work. And yeah, I had the unfortunate job of uh, being a mule uh, for the first morning. Um, so yeah, essentially what happened was is Ben, because he's slightly shorter than I am, was like more on the grape cutting duty with sacateurs. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then what he'd do is fill up a crate full of grapes, put it on my back, and then I'd have to just walk around and deliver it to a truck only for me to return to get given another crate of grapes to be put on my back. Yeah, it's um, it, 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 it's really tough. And I think it's actually worth saying because um, we, we did all this um, for all of four hours. Yep. And then we, <laughs> we, we, basically we were demoted. So one, um, we, weren't, uh, we weren't working efficiently enough. We were work, sort of working down rows of vines and Hugo and I sort of were about halfway by the time everyone else had actually finished picking all the grapes off their respective row of vines. Um, so basically we, we got demoted pretty quickly and we spent the rest of our time uh, at the chateau working on the sorting table. Um, 
which was yeah different experience and like you know still really really quite difficult i've i've, I've never seen so many earwigs <laughs> in my life yeah um, especially when they because they can turn up the the pace of the machine so obviously you know your morning starts slightly slowly then someone has a coffee someone cranks up the notch a bit and suddenly grapes is just like pouring everywhere well they're just literally sorting, it's like it's like yeah. imagine if you're a supermarket and you know you put your you know you put your food on that you know conveyor belt that sends it to the person at checkout it's like that but for grapes and there's eight people working on this table and grapes are just coming down that bloody conveyor belt yeah, for left, right, and eight, center. 10 hours straight. And you, you have about half an hour for lunch and then you're straight back to it. Um, but yeah, that was basically our experience in Bordeaux. So we did that. Um, yeah, we did, we did that for a bit of time. We spent the other time um, trying around some, you know, different chateaus and yeah, just kind of coming back to how we got onto this. I think it was very much our, you know, introduction to Bordeaux. Yeah, sorry. Bordeaux was very much our introduction to, to the, to the wine world. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be people listening to this who know everything about, you know, uh, Bordeaux wine, probably because it's the most documented wine region in the world. Um, But uh, for those that don't, you know, Bordeaux is in the southwest of France, uh, near the Atlantic coast. Um, And essentially there's like three rivers that kind of run through the wine region um, that can be used to sort of outline where the different areas for, for wine growing are. Or, yeah, exactly. And then Essentially, there's two small rivers. One's called the Garonne and the other's called the Dordogne. And essentially, they flow in slightly different directions and then meet uh, and form the Gironde, which then flows out um, towards the Atlantic. And those rivers then mark three separate zones where vines are grown. So to the left of the Gironde and the Garonne is what's known as the left bank. And uh, there, sort of Cabernet Sauvignon is the sort of dominant grape on gravelly soils. Uh, and in the reds, uh, Merlot sort of acts as the predominant um, secondary grape. Um, and some of the really finest wine in the world is grown there. Uh, names like Lafitte, Latour, which everyone uh, or, or a lot of people will know. Uh, and, you know, south of that uh, in Grave, there's also some amazing uh, White, white wine produced, some of which is dry, but probably the most famous wines are the sweet ones from uh, Sauterne. Except for a very select few sort of top red yeah. wine producing chateau. Yeah, exactly. Who, also so there's wines, also red fair. wine yeah. uh, produced down there. Then w- to the right of the Dordogne and uh, the uh, Gironde uh, is then what... It's very good French accent there. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> this, this is my episode for sort of butchering words and names. Uh, uh, but... To, to the right of that is then what's known as um, the right bank, conveniently named. And that's where Saint-Emilion, Pomerol are. And similarly to the regions in the left bank, it's where some of the finest red wine in the world is produced. Names like Petrus. Um, Le Pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Angelus. You know, yeah, we, could go, we could go on and on and on. Uh, are produced in, in, in uh, Pomerol and uh, Saint-Emilion. Um, and then there's a bit in the middle. Um, the, the big difference, sorry, with the right bank is that Merlot is probably the dominant red grape variety and Cabernet acts as the, the biggest secondary supporting grape. And then what happens is, is there's then a section in the middle, which is called Entre de Mer. Um, and there, there's probably less wine that we have access to in the UK. And most of it is either a you know, smaller supply, perhaps doesn't quite hit the quality. And some of it is also a bit more mass market and perhaps more a little bit more white wine is grown there as well. And the reason I'm explaining all of this is that the wine that we have in front of us today um, is from the Entre de Mer, and it's from, by uh, Domaine Galouchi. And it's got just a really awesome story. It's definitely in the wacky and wonderful camp for Bordeaux. Um, 
and it's just got a, 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 a very like cult following and an awesome story, which I'm going to explain. But Ben, have you had any entre de mer? I, I no, no, really. no. Uh, well, at, at least not knowingly, like not consciously. I don't sort of have a you know stock list in my mind of the times I've drunk from, you know wines from entre de mer. Um, and to, to be honest, like I don't think I've really heard about it. I've sort of knew it was a region somewhere. But you know, didn't really have any context about it. At least until we until we sort of decided we were going to do this episode and uh, feature this wine, and you know, actually started doing some doing some research into it. But largely, like sitting under the radar. Particularly, uh, it's not surprising when you've got you know left bank, right bank, Bordeaux. You've got all the famous appellations. You've got all the famous names. Not that surprising that if something sort of doesn't you know typically feature at that quality level, that it's not going to be talked about as much. So you know, it's, yeah. it's it's understandable to an extent, but. I think with something like this paves the way for discovering some really, really cool producers. Yeah, exactly. So I'll try and do this sort of story justice, but I'm going to obviously oversimplify it and make it very short. But essentially what happened was in you know the 90s and 2000s, um, Bordeaux was really sort of the bedrock of the fine wine market and the prices of Bordeaux were you know, increasing a lot. And that led to kind of two trends happening. The first is that Bordeaux got slightly more corporate um, some corporations wanted part of the game and some of the big notorious chateau producing some of the finest wine got bought out. Um, so just as an example, and it's not a bad thing, by the way, because they've invested tons of money into it, which has ultimately uh, led to the improvement of the quality over wine over time in, in some instances. But just to paint a bit of an example to bring it to life, you know, Pichon Baron, for example, which is one of the most reputable estates on the left bank, is now owned by AXA Insurance Company. So Bordeaux got a little bit more corporate. And then what also happened was a trend towards the homogenization of wine styles. And what happened was is typically, not necessarily that the wines got worse or 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 didn't taste good. And on the contrary, like some of those wines from those vintages in the late 90s through to the, the noughties are, are exceptional wines. But there was probably less market differences between, some might say less market differences between the properties and between the appellations, and there could, you know, be the quote that you know Bordeaux could be potentially a bit boring, um, and that came also because you know there was a very prominent wine critic called Robert Parker um, who created a sort of scoring system, and it led to consumers using his scores uh, to guide their decision making and purchasing in key export markets such as the UK and the USA, and what that essentially meant was that you know his scoring. Uh, and his preference for slightly fuller-bodied wines uh, sort of slightly led the style that the chateaus were trying to produce in order to meet the needs of the consumer preferences in those markets. In short, Domaine Galushi was set up to basically be an antithesis um, to that sort of more fuller-bodied sort of corporate uh, uh, style um, that Bordeaux was moving into. In Enshrined in, in to the Vines words where we bought this from, they literally say on the website, it was a fuck you to the status quo at the time. Oh, I like that. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty bold, pretty bold. Okay, well, well if, they, if they're saying that, then we can say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, well then, yeah, it's a, it, it is, I, I was going to say an antithesis, but I like that. We'll go, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a fuck you to the, to the, old, to the old guard. Um, but, you know, without being too controversial, um, it, one of the leading people, it's a bit of a collaboration, used to be um, a sommelier at one of the finest restaurants in France in the Hotel Le Bristol in Paris. Um, so, you know, he's still got one foot in sort of the old world. So, we, you know, it's not too too disregarding. But the reason that this is cool is because 
since its inception, it's been organic and the winemaking has been deliberately low intervention, uh, which means it doesn't mean they don't use oak, but they use it carefully. Um, you know, they're using limited amounts of sulfur and really trying not to, you know, natural yeast and trying not to like over oak the wine and make it too full bodied. Um, and I think what you get in the wine is something where there's a real purity of fruit. Um, it's actually complex in the mouth. Uh, there's a sweetness, but it's not in any way, shape or form jammy or feels overdone. So it's got this complexity, this freshness, uh, it's got body, but it's not excessive. And the difference is, is that whilst those wines that were being produced in the noughties and late nineties in, from the old guard, uh, might take 20 to 30 years to really come round and be ready to drink, you know, this, you can pop the cork and go with immediately. Um, and the cool part of it is, is that, you know, they've got all 13 permissible uh, grape varieties as part of the cuvee. Um, so there's, you know, Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon mixed with Cabernet and Merlot. Uh, for me, when I taste it, it, it seems like the Merlot comes through uh, really, really nicely because uh, it's got that slightly plummy, uh, really like giving, giving style. Um, but yeah, just a really, really cool story. And they ended up calling it uh, the Vin de Jardin. And really that was um, almost like a riposte uh, to the Saint-Emilion uh, right bank estates that were very small. And they got known as Vin de Garage because of they were small. Uh, it was almost like said that, you know, the wines were produced in a garage because the operation was so small. And he, or Domaine Galushi called out this wine, the Vin de Jardin, um, to show that it's, you know, not from a garage, it's from the land uh, and, it, and it's representative of the place that it comes from and, and the actual uh, terroir and plants. Um, so yeah, it's a different style on Bordeaux and definitely a wacky and wonderful to get your hands on uh, coming up to Christmas because obviously Bordeaux is just a bit of a staple for that time of year. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Certainly, Bordeaux is certainly a staple. I would say this is different to like a you know normal Bordeaux. Like this is red and white grapes blended in. You know, as Hugo said, on the left bank, you've got Cabernet, a Merlot on the right bank, you typically got Merlot and Cabernet. This is nine or 10, maybe more great varieties, both red and white, all blended into one wine. I, I, I don't think I've, you asked me earlier if I've had wines from Entre de Mer before. My answer to that was not knowingly. Um, so having a wine from a region that I haven't had before, I wasn't sure to, what to expect. Plus the fact that this has got a load of different great varieties in it that are both red and white Honestly, I, I wasn't really sure. I knew it'd be good because trying to the vine up, you know, selling it, they don't, they don't really sell bad wine. Um, you know, so the, there's no questions about the, the quality, but in terms of the profile, I was very unsure. But it, it's, you know, silky. Um, there's a slight sort of uh, leatheriness to it uh, on the nose, but in a really, really good way. And I think actually it's just very smooth and drinkable. As you said, you know, it's 2019, but it's very approachable. You know, it's not um, it's not like a blockbuster wine. You don't feel like you have to decant it for you know half a day before you. I'm want not to even drink sure it. I would decant it. Yeah, exactly. Because I think I think it just retains that freshness by having it um, straight from the bottle, like we're doing. Um, and yeah, as I said, not sure what to expect, but yeah, really, really pleased. I think it's I think it's really good. I guess final point just on the wine is that you know, obviously this comes across as a bit of a challenge to that old guard style of Bordeaux, but you know. Ben and I would be the first to say uh, that, you know, if we were sort of creating a cellar tomorrow, you know, Bordeaux would have more than its fair share. And we can almost definitely say that, you know, they'd be the very traditional estates, but it's just something a little bit different. Um, and, you know, there's a temptation with 
low, you know, the trend of low intervention, natural wines and all of this sort of thing to slightly disregard Bordeaux as being a bit boring, especially with access to all the different regions we have. Um, but I wouldn't say that at all. You know, Bordeaux is like the heart of what my cellar would be. Um, but this is just something a bit fun to sort of like, you know, challenge that and, 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 you know, just change it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's also worth saying that, you know, I know we've mentioned, um, you know, some of the top appellations and producers from, you know, both the left bank and the right bank, but actually Bordeaux represents like such exceptional value for money, you know, for stuff, stuff that you're buying, um, either on Primeur, um, you know, when it's sort of released to the market or, you know, even, even later on for, you know, 20 quid, you can get really, really top Bordeaux. It's not all about the big names and the big chateaus. Um, you know, there's loads of Cru Bourgeois that, you know, we've had um, that's kind of, you know, very, very widely available on the secondary market that you can, you know, buy, just type, type in a wine to wine search and, you know, something from Bordeaux will, will, will pop up. But it's, it's basically a haven for really good value, as well as obviously kind of being the bedrock of the fine wine market globally and having, you know, kind of really famous names and chateaus there as well. It yeah. still produces really good value. Yeah, so that- don't just think it is this area that produces... Um, you know, kind of elitist wine that no one can afford because it's just completely untrue. Yeah. And do you know what? I'm not going to add anything. We're going to end it there. Um, you heard it here first. Bordeaux is good value. Definitely. Um, definitely. And yeah, we're going to wrap. Um, guys, thank you so, so much for anyone who's made it this far and for tuning in and for listening. Um, you'll be able to find the links to all these wines on our socials and also in the description on whatever to the, to this episode on whatever channel you're viewing it on. Uh, and just remember, it'd be awesome if you enjoyed this episode, please like uh, the video or the podcast on whatever channel you're uh, watching it on. Uh, and also, you know, subscribe to the channel uh, and you can follow us on our socials. You know, we're on Instagram, Facebook, um, you name it. Uh, subscribe to our uh, channels and, and follow us uh, so that you can keep up to date. Uh, but Benny and I will be back next week uh, with another guest. But for now, um, you know, have an amazing week and, and we'll be back soon.